1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to, and try not to weep when I say this, the final episode of the series of The Proper Class podcast. I am Laura Checkley. And I'm Hannah Chiswick. And we are, of course, here to celebrate all things working class, because if we don't, and seeing as it's the last one in the series, I want everyone to do this in their best Cockney accent, and you, guest, as well. We're going to say who the bloody hell will, OK? Because if we don't celebrate it, everyone, who, who the bloody, bloody hell, hell. will? will. That was good. Wow. Oh, wow. I wish I hadn't asked. Yep. Actually, Han, just while we're on sort of the catchphrase thing, it actually dawned on me the other day after many messages from listeners, well, one, uh, that the real catchphrase of this podcast is, in fact, uh, you know, my little tagline at the end of the app when I say, keep it classy. And I've, I've I'm just pissed off because I've been so focused on the who the bloody hell will that you know I feel like I've missed a sitter. So yeah, I just basically feel like a bit of a silly old cunt now. <laughs> well,
2: yeah, uh, what well, only now? <laughs> <Jesus>. <laughs> As always, we sit down with a working class hero to celebrate their life and achievements and discuss just how they got to where they are today. So, without further ado, who are we celebrating this week, Law?
1: Oh, we are going out with a bang this series, mon amigos, because let me tell you, this week's guest is not only a critically acclaimed stand-up comedian, but she is also a writer, an actor and a podcaster, and quite frankly a queer British icon. Yes, so much so that in 2020 she was nominated for a British LGBT Broadcasting Award.
2: This week's guest burst onto the comedy scene and was quickly regarded as one of the best up-and-coming acts, and in 2019 won Best Club Comic at the Chortle Awards. What what followed was many years of sellout Edinburgh shows, nominations and national tours supporting the likes of Alan Carr Josh Widdicombe and Romesh Ranganathan to name but a few. And after all that slogging away, in 2018 she finally headlined her own sellout solo show, Keeping It Classy Great title. As we've established great catchphrase too, no? Yes, okay, move on. <laughs> Keeping It Classy was so successful it resulted in recording for Live at the BBC racking up over 16 million views on Facebook. That's amazing. Since Since then, there really has been no stopping her, notching up a
1: further two critically acclaimed shows, Nocturnal and most recently, Dance Like Everyone's Watching, which was so successful, she was given her own stand-up special on Amazon Prime. I went to see it, actually. And it was, as the youngsters like to say, lit, mate. (laughs) Thank
2: Fucking you, hell, Shall I shut up? I mean, literally, you're like an embarrassing mum. <laughs> not only killing the game on stage, this week's guest is a regular face on our telly books, appearing in shows such as Live at the Apollo, Mock the Week, Hypothetical, House of Games, 8 Out of 10 Cats, The Comedy Bus, and BBC's documentary Womanhood. And that's just scratching the surface.
1: She even made it onto Jonathan Ross's couch too. Not on his, not in his gaff, of course. No, no, no. On oh, the
2: couch on his ITV chat show, which surely means you've made it, no, Han? Absolutely. Not stopping there, she's also a regular on the old wireless two on shows such as Radio 4's The News Quiz and The Now Show. And she also hosts and co-hosts three hugely successful podcasts, The Critically Acclaimed Out, the hit podcast Like-Minded Friends with fellow comedian Tom Allen, and most recently, the brilliant Wine Times with Sunday Times Wine Club Vice President Will Lyons. Wine oh, you say. Sounds right up my strata. What else has she done, I hear you
1: say? Well, if you let me finish, Janice, I'll tell ya. Not content with all of that, she is a regular writer on television shows such as 8 Out of 10 Cats, The Last Leg, Stand Up for the Week and Mock the Week. And the clever bugger is even in the process of penning and developing many of her own TV shows too, including a sitcom and an entertainment show. P.S. Can I be in it? I haven't worked for 10 months. This is actually <laughs> oh, a serious question. <laughs> <laughs> wow and I get the feeling she's only just getting started don't you reckon Law? without a shadow of a doubt and you know what I have to say I've been following this week's guest for many years now and not only is she one of the country's best comedians she is one of the most hard working and kindest humans too her podcast out where she talks to people in the public eye about their coming out stories is I know a huge lifeline for so many people in the queer community and she is honestly nothing but a huge beacon of light for those struggling and needing comfort in what can be a frightening world and and to top it all off, guess what? She's fucking working class and she's here. So, listeners, please give a very warm 40 degrees, actually. <laughs> Welcome to the best-dressed leisure in the biz, the magnificent <laughs> Susie Raffles. <Yay>. That was <laughs> too long. Arguably too long. Why, I mean, though? We're celebrating your
3: achievements. It should have just been she's a comedian, <laughs> she's funny often, it's, sometimes less so. this is the so. whole point,
1: like, It's like we have to celebrate everything you've done. You did have your, you had your hands over your eyes. Though. Did you find that excruciating? I know it was long, but other than that, would you have found it excruciating anyway had it been 30 seconds?
3: Yeah, I mean, it's quite nice in a way that you're like, oh, yeah, it's going all right. Yeah, right. I'm constantly in a place of sort of going, oh, this is great. And then like, oh, No everything's about to fall yeah. apart. Yeah. Which, I mean, potentially we'll move on to that later because I think that's probably quite a working class yes, thing. Yes, for
2: sure. Um,
3: so in some ways it's like sort of nice to go, oh, yeah, I've done all right. It's going all right, isn't it? And then and another way it's like, all right, shut up. Don't embarrass me, Mum.
2: <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> so we start every week by asking our guests if they could take us back to somewhere that reminds them of their working class roots. Where would they take us? So... If you were gonna take us somewhere, where, where would you take us?
3: Well, I was thinking about this because well I well, I think we'll probably get onto this later as well. I wonder whether you I don't know whether you grow out of your working classness. Yeah. Because my mum and dad, my dad's sort of like a geezer done good. <laughs> they got a nice big gaff yeah. now and he drives a nice car. Uh, but it was sort of a bit more up and down when I was a kid. And so I would say a specific place would probably be in like a caravan park. So we used to have our holidays in a caravan park. And I remember going. I got 14 first cousins. Oh my God. And I think we would all go. And my nanny Ruffle, who was like this big, sort of loud, colourful matriarch, I mean, literally colourful, she had ginger hair with a blonde fringe. I mean, what a I look. I mean, I love it. What a look. And why not? Why not? Yeah. So she, uh, yeah. So she was sort of larger than life, a, a sort of a, a typical matriarch, always had like her boys around her in that sort of quite sort of working class way and our girls, but our three boys, my dad and his two brothers. And we would go to like a caravan site in Salesy. I mean, we're very much not a family that would camp. We're very much a family that would go into like a chalet or a or a caravan. So me and my 14 first cousins would <laughs> stay uh, there. Actually, the older ones probably weren't there, but there was there was a lot of us and probably like eight kids, all of a similar age. And what would happen is we'd all be put into one caravan,
1: oh my so God. that
3: so that all the adults could go and have a drink.
1: Amazing. So
3: the my, one of my sort of most distinctive memories is Nanny Ruffle coming in, and I suppose she was like half pissed, but she came in and told a load of ghost stories,
1: <gasps> and then we
3: were all like, I oh, must have been about eight, and we were all fucking <laughs> terrified, so frightened, and like she told us she was like, "There's a ghost on this campsite," <gasps> and like. Then, you know, if you if you leave. Like, I wonder if it was like to make sure we didn't go wondering. Yeah, She possibly. was like, I've locked the door so we can't <laughs> yeah, get in.
2: too terrified to leave whilst they all go on the lash.
3: Yeah, exactly. And so I just have, yeah, these sort of bits of memories of being... She sounds
1: like such a great character.
0: I
3: mean, she really was. She was such... a. She's sort of one of those sitcom characters, if you wrote them, someone... <laughs> someone that's middle class would go that person doesn't exist yeah right yeah, yeah, or someone yeah. that's yeah someone that's like upper class would Be but like, oh, i just don't believe that character would exist i don't believe those yeah, people yeah. would have like my dad's so much like del boy i love that i mean he does so many things that he's like oh you should put that in a script and it actually annoys me <laughs> but then at the same time i'm like oh fucking hell, i should like once moved people out of, like moved stuff out of the wrong house brilliant went into a flat, moved all the stuff out. Someone came back. They're like, we're not moving. It's the flat downstairs. I had to move everything back. So it was like, <laughs> they were, th- like, it obviously looked like they were thieving it, which they weren't. Um, <laughs>
1: That's amazing. I love that. So when you, when you picked the caravan park, yeah, like what, what made you pick there? Cause obviously there's so many places you could pick. Like what, what was it about? I that think Caravan it's park. the fact that I
3: was with all of my cousins
1: and I would yeah. say that
3: I, out of my cousins, I'm the one that sort of, I've moved to London and I went to drama school and I went to do something totally different to everybody else. And everyone else has got sort of, you know, they work in bars or they're scaffolders mm. or they drive a forklift. And I guess being with my cousins is when I feel most connected to that, that I'm not sort of my sort of... Posh London life that they'd say.
1: Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay, uh, don't she
3: talk nice now?
1: Like, yeah. My family think I speak posh now. Yeah.
3: Well, and, and so do mine. And I, and I think I kind of like my, my accent has definitely changed since I have yeah. lived in London and I moved up when I was 18 and I went to drama school. And Ports-
1: yeah, that neutralizes it, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah. And
3: I think because Portsmouth doesn't have a real, it's not like being Liverpudlian and where people go, oh, you can yeah. sort of sell you on that. You know, there's not a specific accent. It wasn't sort of Cockney, it wasn't Essex. It was just this sort of Ports the Portsmouth accent is sort of this strange hybrid of um Cockney and Devon. If you looked at the vowels, to look at it yeah, phonetically, yeah. that's what it is. Yeah. And so it doesn't really make sense to anyone that's not from Pompey. Right.
2: And when you went to drama school, did they try and encourage you to lose it? Or did they were they like try and have a neutral accent? Was that still a thing or
3: Yeah, I think it probably was, but also I think that I moved up and really had like a, I really wanted to shake off that, my roots. I really wanted to be like everyone else. I really wanted to be, I I think there's a couple of things that were also going on at this point. I was sort of working out that I was gay. I wasn't Mm. overly happy about that. I didn't also want to be, I didn't want people to sort of know that I was from a family that I don't know, I guess are a bit rough and tumble. I wanted, you know, I didn't, my family didn't feel normal by comparison to everybody else's family.
1: It's that thing, isn't it, Suze? Of like, you know, obviously I've grown up gay as well and working class and I think that it's the need to uh, fit in is so great that even the working class thing, so certainly when you go into like drama school and everyone's a little bit more middle class, yeah. there's a few working class dotted about if you're lucky, so you just try and desperately fit in. So I think the need to fit in is greater, isn't it, than just being like a working class kid who wants to fit in. But also there's the fact that you're gay on top. is like, I have to fit in yeah, to be liked Yeah, like I really in every way. wanted to
3: assimilate. I liked that we had to wear blacks to drama school every day yeah. because then it was like really stripping down anything about me, what I was. Yeah. And I kind of did that all the way into like doing stand-up for a long time my first couple of years in Edinburgh weren't enormously successful and I think that's because I was sort of doing an impression of what I thought a stand-up was I used to do I was trying to do like observational stuff I was watching yeah you know people like McIntyre and going okay so you have to like notice things but that's not the that's not how I'm funny
1: yeah and my shows were okay but they weren't great they were fine they made people laugh but I think that's because at that point what was selling was that it was very saturated, middle-class sort of still is, really. And you're going, oh, they're working, so maybe I need to change up my act. I think think it's swinging round now. People are wanting to hear from the working-class voices. But back when, certainly you were starting out, when I was on the comedy circuit, I know we went through a whole change of going, like, we need to change ourselves. We need to be a bit more middle-class, and, you know, like we've just been to university together. Like, we just felt so ashamed of... Not ashamed, I suppose. Like, just thought, oh, our roots, nobody gets us.
2: But that is also not just, that wasn't just your, like, being around a lot at that time with you. That wasn't just your sort of insecurities. People were quite unashamedly saying that out loud. Yeah. Like, mm, we always yeah. talk about you and Vic your double act partner and always say like in a way you were kind of old fashioned and it was quite old fashioned working class comedy and yet all the time Mm. people will talk about like going oh loud brash brash crude and it absolutely wasn't they just already made that decision about two working class women Mm. standing up and daring to be funny they'd already decided that in advance so I think I think that's absolutely true about like of course wanting to fit in but I think there was a lot going on still at that time of like huge classism
1: and did you feel as well Suze obviously with your sexuality that you water all of that down as well to make you more palatable etc
2: well
1: I mean
3: in my mind the only two gay women that were on when I started stand-up you know the only real inspirations that were queer in this country that I had would be Sue Perkins and Sandy Mm Toxvig, two women that are so far from who I am
2: yeah both university
3: educated uh, I mean Sandy's from like a you know she's got a very sort of like interesting past and like she's danish and she and like you know i think i think i I get the idea that her family is sort of quite well to do i think they both went to cambridge Mm. and then the idea that i was sort of being being working class and being gay but i mean fucking hell i'm like you know even now i feel like you know like someone said to my agent the other day well susie's the wrong kind of diversity for this
1: what does that even mean was like
3: (laughs) well that they don't want that they didn't want a gay woman, that they wanted a gay man, I think.
1: Oh, God. And,
3: you know, and I think that's the thing. Like, I, I often joke on stage that if you want to be a lesbian on primetime TV, be Saran Jones. <laughs> like, that's yeah. the... Uh, like, because they... They're like, you know, you don't... Like, and I really like her and Gentleman Jack, but, like, that is literally what yeah. people have. If you're trying to find who you are in this world, like, I just didn't see anyone that was like me. No one that no. was like me. No. And so I... I, yeah, I I assimilated to be like the boys. Yeah. Um, like, you know, I was around a lot of male stand-ups. You mentioned before all the guys that I've been on tour with. And so I just tried to do a version of that. And it wasn't until I did a show in 2016 hmm, twenty sixteen or 2017 called Common, where I talked about the fact that I I, I did basically did stories about my family. And that was the first time I had like real critical acclaim yeah and then uh, I had you know the the run was sold out and it was busy every single day and all of the reviews were four plus and it was just and it felt like a really exciting time for me and all of a sudden industry people were sort of like oh okay I guess because I was being who I was and not putting on an act they were like oh you're quite interesting now
1: Mm. but also Susie they were ready for you let's not forget that, you know, we're a good 10 years behind gay men. Yes. Oh, like, I know, think like more than you, that. I think more we than had, that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it's just like now it's like, oh, now we're starting to see lesbians on TV in adverts. and da-da. So yes. it's like also, oh, you're ready for me now, are you? Yeah, Is I think so. I think so. And I think that's... <laughs> and also you find in your authentic self 100%, well, right? finding your talking voice. Talking about your background and, and being proud yeah, of Yeah, and
3: talking about, yeah, my family and what they're like and... And not being embarrassed by the imperfections. Yeah, right. Uh, and actually really celebrating them. Like I remember when when my agent Flo met my dad for the first time, I, I was doing this sort of big gig at Brighton Dome. It was a big charity doing. and it was to that date probably the biggest gig I'd done. Brighton Dome is maybe like 1500, 2000, something like that. So it's quite big. Yeah. And uh, my mum and dad came. It was obviously like quite exciting for them to see me on such a big stage. And then we went for a drink afterwards and there were some famous comics there. And like they know Rom, but they've met, like, you know, they're meeting comics. And it was all very exciting. And um, I was like, oh, dad, this is Flo, my agent. And dad walked up to Flo and went, he was missing a tooth. And he went, Ally, Flo, I'm ever so sorry about my tooth. A horse kicked it out. And Flo turned to me and was like, oh, it's all true. And I was like, yeah, it's all true. Like, yeah. it's 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 not a caricature. It's... Real. I think you're probably right. It took a while for people to be okay with that, but I still feel like I'm not quite exactly what people want for something or that that sometimes going with someone like me feels like a risk. And I don't know whether that's mm. because I'm not university educated or because I'm not clever in the way of, of some comedians like sort of showing off their yeah, yeah, academia yeah. on stage or whether it's because I'm gay or because I'm a bit rough around the edges yeah, I think it's there's still certainly a way to go. I think in in the industry. Oh
2: my god! Yeah. So you tell us about your how many cousins? Fourteen first mm-hmm. cousins. Mm-hmm. And so, did you all grow up? Like, where where did you grow up? What was it like where you grew up? And were they all around as well? And
3: yeah, so I grew up in Pompey. I grew up in South, well, near South Sea, We grew up, and then I had cousins all over Pompey. And like I said, my dad has sort of done like really well. He's got a really nice car now. They've got a really big house. And it was real, um, him and his brothers have all done well. Well, wow. it's like they're a very, very proud family. Yeah. Very, very proud family. My, my granddad, rather my granddad delivered coal to people's houses with a horse and trap. That was sort of the family trade. And as, yeah. and my dad, as a, as a young man had to leave school at 14 and then he, his job would be to deliver coal to people's, to their back gardens, to their coal sheds. Yeah. And some of the people used to make him undress to his boxers because he was dirty. Wow, and because they didn't want him going through the house and being dirty, oh. and so he'd have to go through like in his pants, like it, like Blood, he wasn't so
1: demoralizing. Yeah, like he wasn't good enough it. to
3: walk through their house with his mm. clothes on in case his the soot got on.
2: Bloody
3: hell! Um, and my and my uncles all left school early and did that as well. And so having a bit of dough, having a bit of money in your pocket,
1: which they've worked
3: really fucking hard, really for. fucking hard for, and. You know, they all dress really well. Oh, They're yeah. all in like a pinstripe suit, you know, sort of quite...
1: uh Is that where your dress
3: sense comes from? I think, from? yeah, my dad's always really smart.
1: Yeah. Yeah, has He always got a lovely like two-piece whistle on. Yeah, oh, 100%. Yeah, yeah. shiny shoes. They're like, my dad would not leave the house if his shoes were day. We, we talk about this all the time, Suze, on this podcast about the importance of dressing it well and turning yourself yeah. out well oh, like my family like I still have it in me Hannah knows I'm terrible like if there's a mark on my trainers I'll get the wet wipes out or you know I'll get yeah. my finger out and I'm licking it and like it's just I've always been taught like don't go out with creased clothes yeah. and I think it's like what we always say it's just to go we don't have much but we'll always look good
0: yeah 100%. You know, we'll turn ourselves out well there were know? people
3: at drama school that there was a boy at my drama school that went to like one of the I don't know which one it was. It wasn't Eton, but one of those like right, really posh boarding schools. And he used to come in with like rips in his clothes and holes in his jumpers. So and I true, used to, be, isn't
2: it? It's like And I used to think,
3: God, my mum would be like, That needs yeah. to go in the bin. That wants to that wants to be for Dustin. And so I always want to look smart and yeah, quite well turned out. Hair just so
1: Yeah.
3: Makeup just so. It's really important to me that I look like I'm I guess it's I guess it's something that's been sort of bred into me, and in that like dad wants people to know he's doing all right.
2: Yeah,
3: yeah. Like you know, he's got like a personalised number plate. Yeah. Oh you my know. god!
1: So is my mum Sue's? Yeah. That's Just, true. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, GDA like Gay Diane Aspen, like, and then it's got like a thirteen at the end of well because that's a or was it is a date of bir- a birthday or whatever. It's like oh no, you that's didn't. True. They love it. That's she loves funny. it.
3: So my dad and his brothers all have rough. R-U-F-F oh, at the end of this, So they've got something in rough. So all three of them have got like a nice car with rough on the number
1: plate. So funny, and it? Personalised number plates. That was such a big thing, wasn't it? Like in the 90s. Like, oh, you know,
3: huge.
1: <laughs> I remember my cousin Sophie had
3: a, um, a Corsa that was, I think it was a Corsa, that was um, convertible, which obviously we all thought was like oh the God, fucking yeah. dogs. And uh, her number plate was a nice one. No.
2: Stop it! <laughs>
1: Let me take you back, Suze, to school. Yeah. How was school for you? Oh, terrible. Did you go to a normal <laughs> oh, comprehensive? Terrible. Like, Did you go to like a state school? Like, Yeah, yeah. of course. <laughs> yeah. No, I went to Harrow. Yeah. <laughs> you never know, you never
3: know. No, I went to um, like a nice little primary school that was around the corner from us that I had quite a nice time at. Although I went in, I was really looking forward to it and then apparently mum said that I went in for like two days and I was like, I'm not sure about going back. <laughs> mum was like, oh no, you're doing that for like, 11 years, and apparently I was quite traumatized just by the idea of it. And then I went to St. Edmund's Catholic School. I'm not Catholic, but it was the closest school that was meant to be all right. Retrospectively, I can see it was a really rough school.
1: Wow.
3: Um, Like, I remember teachers like getting a kid by like the throat up against the wall. And like, you know, years later, I'm like, oh, I guess, I guess
1: it wasn't a good school. (laughs) I always thought growing up that, like, all the religious schools were, like, where all the posh kids went. That's probably just because I knew a few poshies at dance school that went to, like, Catholic schools and whatever. Yeah,
3: I think we were at quite a rough Catholic school. I think now it's quite a good school.
1: Yeah.
3: But, like, you know, the the focus was all on the wrong stuff. They were all focusing on, like, you know, you weren't allowed to hold hands. Like, couples weren't allowed to hold hands. But then, like, you know, I got sex education from a nun.
2: Oh, God. Right. Do you know what I mean?
3: No wonder I don't have to do it with a boy. I mean... (laughs) And, and were, you, were you academic, Suze, at oh, all? no, or? really no. not. No, I'm d- really dyslexic. And so is my mum. Yeah,
1: how was that for you? Was it like, oh, was it
3: spotted at all? Or School was horrible. I found it very hard. It's very difficult. If you're dyslexic, everything's hard. It's not just English. Science is hard. Maths is hard. History is hard because it's all reading. Yeah. And it really gave me a chip on my shoulder, I think, into the first sort of, even into, like, well into me being a stand-up, I would always say, like, Oh, I'm a performer that writes. And mm. when I was sort of, when I started sort of doing all right and I was sort of, people were coming to see me or I was opening for people, when newspapers would go to my agents and be like, oh, does she want to write something about this? I'd be like, no, nah, I'm all right. I don't want to write anything. Because I was really embarrassed yeah. Yeah. that I find grammar really hard, that I yeah. don't, yeah, I, I just find lots of things really hard and I, and I make lots and lots of spelling mistakes. And I was really ashamed of the fact that I, I had such trouble with yeah. with being dyslexic. Now, I I, I sort of realise that it's, it's probably what meant that in, in the same way that I think actually about being gay and being different at school is that it's now those things that actually mean that I'm really creative and that I found a different way to communicate and I found a way mm. to own who I am and talk about who I am. But, um, yeah, I found school really difficult, probably more difficult than I let on.
2: The thing is, like, I'm super dyslexic as well. And and I now think of it as, like, one of the best things. I'm a theatre director and I mm. absolutely know that loads of the qualities of being dyslexic are super useful. My yeah, brain right. works in a different spatial way. I can feel and see colours and emo It sounds really wanky. But feelings and things that I use in my work, it's like, and I can yeah. multitask. I can do all sorts of things that have become... Hugely useful. But the problem with education is it is just one thing. Yes. And if you can't do that one thing, then you're fucked basically for 11 years of your life. And that's what it was for me. It was like no one ever thought I was an idiot. But they were like, you just literally can't do the things that we have to tick a box to say makes you successful. And when when you don't have the money or the infrastructure and your parents
1: don't really know. We didn't know back then. Our parents didn't know. My brother was severely dyslexic. My mum used to try and do spelling tests with him, but that was just like the worst thing he could possibly do. He couldn't fucking spell. But my mum was trying to do her best. But back then, I mean, if you'd had a bit of money or your parents had a bit of money, they'd have probably spotted it earlier, got you sorted and you'd have been fine. But then what happens is such a knock on effect into your
2: adult life of feeling fucking stupid mm. all the time. But also there was like a big thing when, so if I look back on it now, like you're saying as well there, Susie, about your mum's obviously dyslexic. And if I look back on it, like my grandma, my dad's mum, she used to love to write poetry, but she said she couldn't read because it made her feel sick because of all the words moving around so clearly she was dyslexic my dad very bright man but can only write in capital letters left school at 13 can only write in capitals very ashamed of his writing Mm -hmm. then there's me I was exactly the same but and then and now my son and he's definitely dyslexic as well but so different the way they are with him when I was at school my parents finally paid for my dyslexia test when I was like had to pay for it themselves when I was about 16 17 and the teacher's advice was, like, don't do it. She'll be stigmatised for life. Don't do it. If anyone finds out she's dyslexic, that'll be, like, yeah, yeah. the end of everything for her. They were advised, like, not to do it. And that is, like, how generation on generation is. It's it's kind of crazy. Wow.
3: My mum told me that when she was at school, a teacher, she got so many of her spellings wrong, the teacher made her get in the bin. She had to stand in the waste paper bin and say, um, I'm Anne and I'm stupid. <gasps> When my mum told me that, I nearly cried. Mama like laughed about it. She was like, "Oh, oh you know God. what? Different time, like different fucking time. What's wrong with these
1: people doing that to a kid?" Sue's, so, you know, I went to quite a posh dance school, mm. and I well, mean, of course she dances. Been... You've got to <laughs> I've remember never been she today, Of course, I went she... to a very posh dance school. Well, of course, but the, the the woman who ran the school used to give us like, spelling tests and stuff. What the
2: dance just... school?
1: Yeah, so like oh, she'd right. like she just suddenly go like, right, you, spell this, you, seven times eight, you, and I remember she came around to me once and um, I, I definitely think I'm dyslexic. I've never been tested, but I definitely have. I want to be tested. I've always felt really stupid. I, I'm slow with things I, I, and I've only really sort of understood it through talking with Hannah and having other conversations with people. Anyway, she once turned around to me and went, spell caterpillar, and I just had this blind panic because I felt stupid anyway because they were all at posh schools and whatever. And I, I went, caterpi double And oh. then I just remember everyone turned around going, caterpillar, And just this, it went in slow-mo, everyone laughing at me. And I've never forgot that moment. And, and then she turned around and went, aren't you stupid? Oh, You're Jesus. so stupid. And it carried on for about two hours after. that. Laura, I still can't believe you said caterpillar. I went, I didn't mean that. I meant AR. I meant AR. Or oh, ER, whatever it is. So I capture. definitely cannot spell caterpillar, just for the is record. AR or ER? Oh,
2: or I don't yet? know. Us three are never going to work it out. Who cares? Who cares? Fucking us three are going to spell caterpillar, and who gives a shit? That's I what mean, spell <laughs> check's for.
3: Spell check. Word. <laughs> it's so funny how you say about dance teachers, though, because I went to... My dance school wasn't posh, just to... Be really clear, um, but my dance teacher—they always call them Miss. Did you have to? We called her Miss Sophie.
1: Oh, it's so funny, isn't it? My mate Vic's her dance teacher was like Miss Something. Yeah, yeah.
3: Miss Miss Sophie. And I remember I was like a teenager that was like unbelievably struggling at school and really struggling with my sexuality. And I walked onto stage and she went and everyone was like doing stuff and there was music playing. We were like rehearsing. We're doing like a dress rehearsal. And I walked on and she went, stop, 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 stop stop the music, stop the music, stop the music. Susie, could you walk on stage less like your father? (gasps) Oh, God. And I was 14. Can you imagine? the worst
2: thing someone could have said to you in that moment. Can you imagine? Oh,
3: yeah, okay, I'm like a boy. Oh, my God. Mad. And I think it like changed how I I mean I probably walked on like fucking Mickey Flanagan. <laughs> but I mean that, that's
1: how that's how I was taught to walk how, how am I supposed to know otherwise that's just how we walk in our family is that where it all began for you the performing was it going to a dance school how did you even hear about a dance school like how did it all start for you my cousin Sophie is a really
3: good tapper she was always a really good dancer. And my cousin, Natalie, they both danced. Then I started going to a Amdram Society, which I adored. My God, it was the happiest Amdrams two hours. Was when
1: it was great, wasn't it?
3: Oh my God, happiest two hours of my week. And we all behaved <laughs> like we were. In the West End, I it was love it so, so dramatic,
1: you know, isn't it? We'd
3: arrive in like Juicy Couture tracksuits, take them off, would have leggings on underneath. It was just, <laughs> it was, it was so good. It was so good. Whilst rehearsing, half a sixpence that we put on in a boys' school for two days in the summer. I mean, love it. Was, it. I love it. It was. We, I fucking loved it. It was so great. And I think there were lots of people there that weren't necessarily queer, but like were different, didn't yeah. may, maybe didn't have friends at school. were Always called a show off. Like that's a bad thing. I fucking like being a show-off is buying me a house. Like being a show-off yeah. is fucking great. Like fuck off with you. It's not being a show-off. Like, yeah, being a show-off is brilliant. Yeah, if you can monetize yeah. you can monetize it. Or it's just you're the fun one in the pub. Fuck off. Yeah, right. Um, but I, I just I, I just loved it there. And so I would go there and then someone said, oh, you can sing a bit. Why don't you go to have singing lessons? So my mum paid for me to go and have singing lessons. They were £9 a session and I knew that I was really lucky to be going. And I went to this old lady who would sort of teach you how to sing classically properly. So I had to sort of go and sing like folk songs and bah, bah,
2: bah, 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 and oh, things well, like that. Yeah,
3: sure, oh, but sure, I loved yeah. it. I loved it. And then I used to go and do these little singing festivals that would be in a church hall with literally tens of people and uh, <laughs> sometimes
2: less. And, but I loved good it. Good preparation for Edinburgh, isn't it? This oh, listen.
3: <laughs> so. to... oh, we've got 14 then. It's a fucking riot. Nice. Let's go. <laughs>
1: and so what did your mum and that think of were they really encouraging with the oh yeah mum
3: was just thrilled that I'd like made some friends and that because like now being a parent I'm even more aware of like what it must have felt like for my mum but I think me like not being invited to birthday parties or like there being sleepovers and me just never being invited I think was like harrowing for mum so mum used to say to me don't worry we're best friends and then sometimes I'd say that at school and if anything I would say that really spurred the bullies on Uh, be like don't worry my mum's my best friend
1: oh (laughs) god
3: stop it I think because of that my mum was so thrilled that, like, I'd made these friends and, like, we put on shows and we did dance routines. Yeah,
1: you found and your we, crowd. Yeah, right. and it
3: was great. And there was obviously some gay guys there because it was Amdram. Of and course. so, like, I felt, like, this affinity to them somehow. And this is something – you mentioned the podcast I do with Tom – You know, that's something that Tom and I talk about quite a lot, that like, you know, when you find someone that you're like, you're like me, but different. Yeah. Can we be, This this, is there's something like, we're kind of the same, but we're also couldn't be further from each other.
1: Yeah, yeah. So
3: I found some people there that were a bit more like me or didn't care that I was a bit different.
1: How did your parents afford it? Because I know for my mum, it got really expensive, all of that stuff. Yeah. And certainly when we were going through a difficult time financially, it was like, I was at one point, weren't sure whether I could carry on. But how did you guys... Deal with all
3: of that was it? So there was definitely points when like, like I know there were points when bailiffs were at the door. Now, but at the time I I didn't know that, and I think they always, like, really hid it from me. I think Dad always made sure. But like my Dad worked like a fucking dog. He used to be, he used to work all day, doing a whole bunch of different things with lorries, selling lorries, buying lorries, taking stuff different places, and then at night he was a long distance lorry driver. Jesus. So he would work all day, come home, have a bit of tea, and then go and do a shift of like driving to Cardiff and back, Gosh. and then go to bed, have four hours kip, five hours kip, and then get up and do it again. Yeah. Like, he just never stopped working. And he went bankrupt and, like, because he had a business. And then, I mean, last time, sort of what's happening now, the, the amount of families that are going to be affected yeah, by the right. interest rates going up. Like, the way that my dad explains it, if I say to him, what happened? You had money. And he'll go, well, the trouble was the arse fell out of the lorry game.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: and. hmm I, I'm not entirely sure what that means. A similar thing happened to my cousin when she gave birth. But, um, <laughs> but the arse fell out of the lorry game and then he he had borrowed too much. That he couldn't sell the lorries that he had all of his stock got repossessed, yeah. then everything right. was getting repossessed it looked like our house was going to get repossessed It was put into my uncle's name oh, right and then like you know there was like all oh, like you know and it meant actually we always had a lovely house. we always had a really lovely terrace house it was on a really nice road we yeah. you know it we had an upstairs, you know it was all we always had a lovely home, and mum always made it. did beautiful. you have that home always throughout
1: your whole child? yeah, so kept hold then you managed to keep hold of it and not lose it and stuff, yeah, but like
3: I think probably in quite a dodge way. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Like oh, I think my uncles helped just... and yeah. different people like lent him a bit of money and he got in like, you know, and he slowly worked his way back up. But the house that they live in now, um, they live on Hailing Island, which is a really beautiful it's gorgeous, like little yeah. tiny island just off of Portsmouth. And they live in this fantastic house now. And um my dad has always had he had this little sliver of land so he's always had horses and I think there's very much two kinds of people that have horses they're people yeah. that pay polo and there's people that work with them so my my first job was doing people's weddings with my dad as the green as the groomsman so I would okay. get out and hold the horse's head while my dad opened the door in a top hat I would be in like Joppers and a oh god what's it was suede like a suede yeah you know a velvet jacket with a cravat and a top hat Amazing. um yeah, this like 13, 14 year fourteen-year-old girl. So I used to do weddings on a Saturday with my dad, and he'd sometimes do funerals. But he was—it was very much work, you know. It was his job. Yeah. And and he loves the horses as well. You know, he rides them for pleasure and would drive them for pleasure. He also used to race travellers for money. Oh wow! And um, there's actually a sign between Portsmouth and Brighton on the road that says "No racing by horse-drawn vehicles," and that's because my dad <laughs> and his mates used to close the road brilliant. so that they oh, that's so, so they could brilliant. race the travellers, and he could earn hundred quid on, on a Saturday morning.
1: Your upbringing always it reminds me quite of mine, not because of the horse race or anything like that, but my, my my stepdad, you know, sort of owning business, losing everything. Yeah. We went to dance school. We did all of that. Like, yeah. We had a very similar upbringing, obviously being gay. So I just wanted to ask you how how your parents were with you. I think because, you know, like when I grew up, I honestly thought that middle-class people were just really cultured and they'd be fine with their children coming out. Mm. Um, And and I I just underestimated my working-class family. I just thought they won't get it, they won't understand. Mm. No one knows anyone gay. It's going to be a fucking disaster and they couldn't have been more brilliant. Yeah. How was your
3: family? Was it? I think it was a real shock for my mum. I think that it was partly to do with the fact that she... We did have this really close relationship and then all of a sudden she felt like she didn't know me, Yeah, which I think yeah. was really hard for her. And I think it was like a real journey. They didn't know anyone gay. No. Yeah. They, they, they knew about like there was like a gay guy that owned like the local pub that was like Camper Than Christmas.
1: Yeah.
3: I just think it was so alien to them, the idea mm. that I was different and they couldn't. My dad actually was really a lot more chilled about it than my mum. My mum had like a bit of a journey with it. She was never unkind She was really upset about it. And I think it's because she thought, well, her life is going to be much harder. Yeah. And I mean, and I think that's true to a degree. There is, you know, I talk about it on stage, but like, you know, when you're, you know, we're now gay mums, you know, we've got to think about where we live, kind of school that our little girl's going to go to. You know, we've got to think about where we go on holiday. There's 69 countries where it's illegal. There's countries where lesbians aren't even recognised. I was filming in Morocco a couple of weeks ago. And I said to one of the fixers, I was like, what do, what do they think about gay women here? And they were like, Oh, the government doesn't believe they exist. Wow. Wow. And so, you know, I think that there were things that my mum was worried about that have, you know, that sort of that fair there enough are certain in a way. things. Yeah. And like, you know, now, like, I mean, she couldn't be closer to my wife. Like they love each other to bits. They're really, yeah. really tight. She's an incredible like grandmother to our daughter. They adore each other. And I think it's, uh, It's been like a bit of a journey for them.
1: Yeah. Mm. The thing is, you don't know anyone that's like that. It's just the fear of the unknown, isn't it? You know, once, yeah. I think that's
3: why I'm so passionate about doing stuff like, you know, you mentioned my out podcast before, or like by being authentically me on stage or on TV or being, you know, out in stuff or just having gay women on things because I was so lonely as a teenager. I felt yeah. so lost and so lonely. And I would like, I remember like waking up in the middle of the night and like, I my, my was like so disgusted by myself. Like it would make me sit, like literally vomit yeah. sometimes. So I was so ashamed of like, oh my God, what about when all my family find out this thing about me? They're all going to hate me because yeah. there was just no one like me on anything. And I think it is improving now.
2: I think also like the spectrum of what that is as well is so important. It's like, not just like you're saying, oh, there was like one very... You know, camp gay guy who ran the pub and like good for him. But you yeah. Mean, like the, but in terms of like what was shown, if there was any examples of well, let's be honest, there were no examples of gay women. But if there were any examples of gay people in general, they, it was such a narrow one view. Yeah, version dimensional of that. thing. Yeah. You know, and and now it's like you know it's so important. I think now as for for young gay people to see people in marriages with children and just going yeah, about sure. their life. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, and all the different ways that, of course, people live their life. It's not one thing, and that's probably what. Our, well, my parents probably knew more gay people because they were working in the theatre. But I think, like, if you're talking about that, there's just people weren't seeing that like wide spectrum of 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 not course. even a little not, bit, not even like, anything. Just tell us a little bit about like getting to drama school. Like how did you get there? Like what made you think to apply and what was it like when you got there? Were you just like, what is this world? Or was it amazing to get away and be lost in the big city? What was what was that whole sort of process? I couldn't wait to get to London. Yeah.
3: I couldn't wait to get to London uh, because it was a place where people like me were. Yeah. And I remember going and seeing, so when I was about 10 months so I think, I mean, this is this sounds like quite sad, but I'm fine. Um, but because I didn't have loads of mates, um, sometimes on like a Saturday there'd be like a birthday party or something, and maybe I wouldn't have been invited. And so my mum used to organise like fun things for us to do. Yeah. So she took me to see, she took me to the West End to see a matinee of Greece. So we got the train up yeah. We went to see Greece. And I remember seeing, you know, in town, like, you know, where the, the street signs are, it says Theatre Land. Yeah. And I was being like, <laughs> oh my God. I mean, theatre land. <laughs> like, I was so excited by it. Yeah. And we went and watched the show and I loved it, of course. And then afterwards, mum said, oh, do you want to go to stage door? And I was like, what's that? And she said, you would be able to see all the girls that were in the show. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I remember seeing the girls that had been the pink ladies. And, like, on a different day, it wouldn't have happened, you know. But they something had obviously happened in the show. Maybe something someone had got something wrong or they'd been an on-running joke on stage. They fell out of stage door, l- like, laughing and like cr- like tears running down their face, and they all had their they had on like scarves oh, around their head what? to keep their hair ready for the yeah. for the second show. show. Ready. Yeah. yeah, and they sort of still had some of their makeup on. And they're like you know like their little flicks and their eyes yeah. and stuff. Yeah. And I remember looking at them and thinking, that's their job. <laughs>
1: yeah,
3: that's what they do. They do that yeah. every day. They're doing that again tonight, and then they're going to come back tomorrow and do it again, and then they're going to come on another day and do it again, and then that's what they do every day. And I just remember being like, that's magic. That's magic. And so, and so she was
1: bitten by the theatre bug, And that was
3: it. That was it. Yeah. And now, like even now, I think like my, one of my big ambitions is to be, is to do like a, a musical in the West End so that I can like feed that 10-year-old girl. I'd love me. to see you in a West End musical. I'd love to see that. So then I found out about drama school. And then I started getting, from when I was about 14, I started getting the prospectuses of all the drama schools. Aww. So I had like all of Mount Views. All sure. of, like all these different ones, Rada's different ones. And I got into Aura and I, I remember I'd already got into Aura. what helped
1: you with that, Suze? Do you have a teacher that helped yeah, you? Yeah, I had,
3: like- um, I had a, there was a drama teacher that was like a friend of a friend who came around and helped. But then also I had a teacher at college who was really good. Yeah, yeah. and there had been lots of people that had gone from like not lots of people. There had been a handful of people from that had gone from Chichester College to Drama School. So I decided to go out of Portsmouth for college so I could meet some new people. And I had to sit like on on a train every day for twenty five minutes. But I knew that that course was really good for drama, and they had a theatre, which was the most important thing. I mean, you know, like a fifty seat studio. But in my mind, I was like, they've got a theatre.
1: Yeah, we could put on shows. Absolutely. And
3: so I got all the prospectuses, and I remember going. I just got I'd got into Aura, and then I went for an audition at RADA. Hmm. and like and I found that very overwhelming like you know to your left it's like Richard Attenborough to your right it's the queen you're like oh okay I'm here (laughs) am I and um, and I didn't really know like there were all these pictures of you know, Dame Judi Dench as a teenager. When
2: I
1: went to RADA,
2: I'd felt so out of place. It was so I not what the I would still I feel out of place yeah, now, I'm well, fairly certain. And I'm a theatre yeah. director and some of those places still make me feel like, oh, I don't know, it's just <laughs> something about the fabric of the buildings. It's just,
1: yeah,
3: just immediately it just feel
2: like you're in the wrong place.
3: Yeah, I just don't think it was for me and I loved drama school I, I absolutely loved it I didn't um it wasn't you know the one that I went to wasn't the best in the world um, it's actually closed down now but fuck I loved oh, it no, I it was that. It's so sad it was great I had such a brilliant time I made friends for life it's where I came out yeah and, and all my friends were lovely why wouldn't they be but I was very scared of telling some of my sort of very girly friends that I'd met
1: who were actresses yeah. I always opened with by the way I've never fancied you yeah uh, <laughs> I always opened with that um so how did comedy start then obviously you're at- you, you know, you're at drama school, presumably you just wanting to act. and I mean, you know, obviously you were funny, people telling you you were funny. I I mean,
3: I, the, I, I graduated into the recession. Great. So I graduated as all the theatres were closing. So I remember being in our final year and the teachers being like, oh, another rep's closed and another thing's closed. And then yeah. there weren't even that many student films being made. Like it was really hard to get an audition for anything. And so I graduated without an agent And I was working, working in pubs, working in bars, uh, waitressing, doing a bit of... I I had a couple of admin jobs. Fuck me, I was terrible at them. But I had so much chat and I would always make people a cup of tea that I never got the sack. But fuck me, I made so many mistakes. I always had to stay late to like, because I'd fucked up something or other.
1: (laughs) How did you find sticking at it, Suze, financially? Like we always talk about sustaining this industry and how difficult it is. Um, Do you know what? I had an
3: amazing girlfriend who's still... Not my girlfriend now, who's still one of my best friends. And me and her moved in with her mum and dad. Yeah. And they were really, really supportive. And actually, yeah. I owe them an awful lot. Um, I'm still really good friends with her. And she, and she was the person that said to me, you should give stand-up a go. Wow. She was the person that was like, you know, I was just desperate to to perform. And I and I was funny enough, I think. Some stand-ups, I guess, are funny all the time. But it is a craft. You do have to really work at how you're funny. Of course. You know, I knew I could be funny in chat. And then I got this little gig, unpaid, of course, uh, at the Soho Theatre, being an actor for their new writer's course. Okay. So you go in and like have a go at the scripts. And it was like a little project, but it was great because I felt like I was working. Yeah. And then they were putting on a fundraiser one night and they were like, okay, before we go, does anyone want to do anything else? And I'm not kidding when I say... I'll do stand-up, leapt out of my mouth. It hadn't even really occurred to me that I'd really wanted to do stand-up. I think wow. Faye had maybe said to me at some point, oh, you should give that a go. Or oh, we'd been to see comedy. So my first ever gig was in the upstairs room at the Soho. Not
1: a bad first gig, Suze.
3: Eh? And, I, and I made people laugh. And then the next gig was at a place called the Lion's Den. And I think I had to pay to play. I think it was two quid to get on. Wow. Which happens, I think, I think it happens less now. and But there was a period where you had to pay to play quite a lot.
1: And how long did it take you before you started getting paid for it, before you thought okay, this is actually going to, this is going to make me a living. Well, this sort of, it leads into my my
3: agent, my my brilliant agent, Flo. Um, She had gone to a place called the Comedy Cafe to watch her friend who she'd gone to, to university with, John Kearns, on stage. Oh, yeah, yeah. And he was in a double act at that point. And she saw me and thought that I was quite good or thought that I had something. But I only had 10 minutes of material Wow. And then I went and had a cup of tea with her, uh, with her and Addison Creswell, who's, who's no longer alive, but he was, he, he was, uh, one of the owners of Off the Curb, him and another guy. And, um, he was very upfront with me about it. He was like, it's, you know, it's, it's hard. You'll have to gig everywhere. You'll have to be able to gig in any room in the country, you know, and it will be, and it will be a, a long journey. And there'll be other agencies that put you on TV straight away, but we wouldn't, you know, we really we were about nurturing you. Yeah. And so I've been doing stand up at that point for probably about 18 months. And I remember him saying to me, How much do you earn a year? And I said, I, I earn 13 grand a year. And that was what I was getting in my day job at the time, 13 grand a year. And he said, Okay, jack it in. You'll make 13 grand from comedy in the next year. And I did. Wow. And that was it. And so I just gigged everywhere. Anywhere they would send me, I'd jump in my car. I, I, I'm like, It would be insane. I would do like Aberystwyth to Liverpool. Yeah. Like that would be my week. Aberystwyth, Liverpool, Norwich, London. But
1: you still do that, don't you? Like I see you often. I mean, you're going to different kind of gigs now yeah but stuff. I'm still but all over the shop comedians work so fucking hard they yeah, you really do yeah you've got
3: to graft it's a real grafter's profession yeah you've got to really put the time and effort in and um, yeah you really go and the show and so I was so lucky that I was seen by this agent who then you know supported me you're very lucky if you find an agent that supports you in the ups and the downs she's always yeah. been my my biggest cheerleader in times mm. when no one was interested and in times when lots of people were interested and that's the thing with this profession. There are, there are summers and winters and springs and autumns. And, you know, I want to be a comic forever. So there'll be bits when people are booking me for lots of stuff and there'll be moments when people aren't. And I think if you've got someone in your corner that's always, that always thinks you're good. Cause I think without flow, I actually would have given up quite a long time ago because yeah. I, I, there were, there were, there were points when I just wasn't working and I found it really, really hard. And I remember crying to her in a Whole Foods. I've never told this story before. I'm sure she'll be fine with it. I hope she is. I cried to her in a Whole Foods after an That's Edinburgh. That's middle
1: class. We're whole Foods?
3: In a Whole Foods, yeah. Um, very middle class. It was very middle class. Um, I think she was getting us a shake. <laughs> and I said to her, I, I, I think I might give up. And she was like, oh, I think like honour the dates in your diary. You know, g- give it six months. See how you feel in six months. She said a bit of a you know a tough Edinburgh. And like, it wasn't as tough as you thought it was. But, you know, you weren't selling out. And, you know... I remember that year I was, my venue is next to Rob Beckett and Joe Lyson. So every day I walk past both of their queues. That's hard. And it's it's like, you know, it scoops you out to then keep getting on stage and keep trying to be funny. You know, and when you're doing stand-up, you don't have a a character to put on. You have to be in that room. You've got to reference the fact that it's not busy.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And doing that day in, day out, like it really took a lot. To keep at it. When Edinburgh's not going well, it's the hardest place in the world, isn't it? It was really tough. It was really tough. And so
3: I thought about giving up. And then Flo said, you know, give it six months, see how you go. And one of my favourite comics, he still is, but certainly part of the reason that I was loved comedy so much was because of Alan Carr. I watched him for such a long time. And when before I was a stand-up, I loved that DVD, Tooth Fairy. I think probably even now I could probably recite quite a bit Uh, of it. Yeah. (laughs) And... Flo said, give it six months, see how you feel. And then within about maybe not quite as long as six months later, she had got me the tour support for Alan.
2: How and then I went out on
3: the road. And it was just his warm-up tour, so it wasn't playing 1,000-seaters. It was just playing 200-seaters. But that is where I was so encouraged by Alan. He was so supportive of me. He thought it was good enough to open for him, which just meant the world to me. Of course. And I played every night to an audience. He would go on and say, I think this girl's brilliant. She's going to be on telly one day and you'll be able to say that you saw her here with me. And so the whole audience were like, okay, great. I bet she'll be brilliant. And so I just had to go on and do 15 minutes. And that was where I worked up that show about my family because I had this warm audience in front of me every night and Alan saying, you're really good. Keep at it.
1: And Alan, who also is working class and so
2: unapologetically himself. Yeah, 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 exactly. That works.
1: Like, I need to do me. I need to
3: inspire him. sticking at it. I don't think I would have without the the guidance of Flo and, and, and her encouragement.
2: Yeah. there are so many things I'd love to ask you but we can't keep you hostage for the rest of your life but the um, the thing that I'd, I'd really love to speech about is something that you actually mentioned at, at the beginning of, of the podcast today which was about how uh, your life has changed obviously you've like enjoyed a level of success and you're probably mm-hmm. living in a different area and a different lifestyle and in a different way and now mm-hmm. you're a parent yourself and mm-hmm. two questions really do you still feel working class and also do you think your daughter daughter's life will be a very different upbringing to your own oh great questions so <laughs> discuss <laughs> um, point
3: one firstly i'd like to say um, i i find it do you know someone the other day someone said i was asked to do a panel on working classness oh it was a thing that you guys did at, oh, the, at the hoxton hall um, at the hoxton hall and my first response is i went back to them and i said i think it's disingenuous for me to talk about i can certainly talk about a heritage being working class but yeah. there are comedians Like Tom Mayhew, who is talking about being working class right now Mm -hmm. and how it feels and and how, you know, what's going on in government is sort of how shaping his existence. Mm. And I think it's really far more important to talk to someone like him or not him specifically, but someone like that who is living that life right now. And so I think it's really important to to sort of uh, to, to reference that. But then other people have said to me, oh, no, if you're working class, you're working class. Mm-hmm. like if you you know if you've gone through that if you know the struggle if you know what it's like if you've got that kind of family you know if you've got families where some of your family members are cleaners yeah you know and now it's like full circle because now I've got a cleaner you know it's yeah, it's, yeah. A, it's a weird thing and it's I have that sort of working class guilt and that like when my cleaner comes I'm like do you want a cup of tea do you want anything let me get you something do you want a nice lolly so are in it are can yeah. I do anything to help you and I think she's a bit like why don't you just chill like I'm doing my job because I want to her to know that I'm nice do you know what I mean like I don't yeah, want to be yeah, yeah or like that I appreciate her yeah you know yeah, but yeah. I think I don't I don't know I don't know whether is, is it a financial thing do you get to a certain financial level like my mum and dad having their nice house and going I mean they've got a nice house but I mean they can't give me a deposit for a house. Ha- like you know they can't give me any money like you know not that I'm asking for money for them but it's, it's still a different thing to a lot of my friends that are from wealthy families where they're like oh my parents gave me x amount so that I could get on the property ladder like that's not going to happen but we've all sort of done all right. I guess I feel like I've I've got working class bits in me. I certainly don't feel middle class.
2: Yeah, that's no. the thing, isn't it? Yeah. So and then I don't know where else I fall. Yeah. Um, it's such
1: a tough question in a way. I mean, for me, it's a feeling. And who I gravitate towards. Um, going home is hugely important for me to be connected still with my family. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I still go down the cricket club, talk about the cricket club all the time. That's like a... It's like a pre like a resetter for me going to those places, mm. um but I know I live a middle class life now, yeah, but i feel I can't ever remove that feeling of what it was when we had nothing. I can't ever remove that feeling of feeling like little Laura with no money surrounded by loads of posh people feeling right. stupid yeah. or I don't know, and it's such an interesting question, isn't it because. No, technically, I'm not working class. And like you said, you know, I'm not living a working class life now. My family, and I'm very connected to that. But for me, it's like a feeling. It's still in my bones. I'm Mm. connected to, I'm very connected to my roots, but I'm not living a working class life.
3: Yeah, I think that I'd probably feel similarly. I think that thing of like worrying about money, like I feel like that's something that like certainly my friends that had quite privileged childhoods, and I did in many respects, there were just like you know bumpy moments, and I was very privileged, yeah. and you know I was I was spoilt with love. I know that yeah, much.
1: Yeah, but being working class doesn't always have to be bleak and miserable, right? No, exactly. Yeah, but I think that's like how often how it's painted.
3: Yeah, yeah definitely. Exactly. You know, yeah, like
2: exactly. like it's fucking
3: Angela's Ashes. Yeah,
2: exactly. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah,
3: so I think that there was certainly that um, there's there's definitely part of me that's like like I'm always grafting. I can't say no to money. No, like I find it very hard to say no to money. And I really like money. And I feel like that's not a cool thing to say in, like, our uh, industry. Like, I, I like knowing that I haven't got to worry about money. I think lots of people that are like, you know, so many people are like, money doesn't buy happiness. But, like, no, but it makes things a fucking lot easier. Exactly. Yes. Yeah.
2: Honestly, I only think people with with money say that. I really believe that. Like, yeah. Yeah. you know, only people who've net or, or or certainly people who've never experienced not having it, it's just a bullshit, very privileged thing to say money doesn't bring you happiness. Yeah, So we're going to have to let you go in a second,
1: but just one last question we always like to finish up on. Sure thing. Obviously, we've been celebrating you and your and your brilliant success, but we like to ask our guests each week if there's a working class hero they'd like to celebrate today. Who is that for you, Susie?
3: Well, I mean, in the world, it would be Kathy Burke.
1: <laughs> but I think
3: my dad, because he's had... To, my dad is such a fucking inspiration in, in that... You can't keep that man down. No. My God, you can't keep that man down. He has been dealt so many tough cards of, like, losing everything, getting it back, like, different things. Like, he's had things thrown at him, left, right, and centre, you know, done some dodgy bits here and there, got in a bit of trouble, and he always bounces back. He always bounces back. He has that real Dalboy mentality of this time next year with millionaires. I love that. And he really believes it. He really believes it. He's always got something going on. I'm going to sell this. I'm going to do that. I'll tell you what's going on over there. I'm going to... I've gone into this deal with this mate and this is happening over here and that's going to happen there and if that comes off, fuck me, we'll be laughing. And he has been saying that (laughs) since I was like five and he still believes. Okay, I'll give you a really lovely example. right? Okay, so their house now. I mean, I've made it sound like it's a fucking mansion. It's just a really nice house and it's by a bit of land. So Dad had this little slither of land, right? And when he went bankrupt... Like he, he sold it to someone who could sell it back to him eventually, like you know, so that he gets. And it's where he kept his horse, or if he had two horses, that would be like the working horses that he had, or that he was buying and selling stuff. Had this little tiny bit of land, and when everything went wrong and it was really tough and he was really on the bones of his ass, he, he would still go over and feed his horse and and do whatever else. And one day, mum went with him, and he said to my mum, "One day, we're going to live in that house." We're going to live in that house. We're going to. Li- I'm going to be the bloke in that house. And 17 years later, he bought it.
2: That's oh, amazing. I
3: love that. And like, and and it was like so many people would have given up at year 10, at year 12, at year He's 15. He's like the
1: original manifesto, right? Yeah, like yeah, but he wouldn't know what that word means. <laughs> no, like, I'm, not gay, not. I'm not a guy. I'm not a manifesto. No, it'd be <laughs> so wonderful, like the tenacity to just keep going. We're going to get this. We're going to. The hope and the ambition. And I think, and the- like you know, saying about
3: stand up and like you know the tougher times, like. He was always like, be fine, you're funny, be all right. He, he, Yeah, and so he's always been, he's the one that I would ring at like, like he, he also is like, he sleeps really strange hours and that like he'll often be up at like three in the morning and watching like a documentary on murder because why not? <laughs> yeah, sure. Because it could be worse.
1: It um, could be worse.
3: <laughs> it could be bread and um <laughs> And sometimes I would ring him when I was like driving five hours home from a mediocre gig that paid me 150 quid and the petrol's 45 yeah um and i'd ring him and like we'd have such a
1: laugh
3: oh and and i think he's he was more proud of the miles i was doing (laughs) than of than
1: the actual payoff the actual actual gig i love that i love that so much and um what's your dad's name roly 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 ruffle Roley Ruffle. Oh my God, what and he's got a
3: name like that. Roley Ruffle, Marty Ruffle and Ricky Ruffle. I love the that. The boys, the
1: boys. Oh, Susie, we are celebrating you as well as your dad, Rolly Ruffle. Rolly, Yeah, Rolly. yeah I want to say Rolo. Who was Rolo? Yeah.
3: No, Rolo's a chocolate. Rolo's
1: a chocolate. He's called
3: Roley because my granddad used to give, he's called Roy, but my granddad used to get a packet of Rolos. I think he thieved them from the shop every week when he went to pay for like the lecky and stuff and uh, my dad would be in charge of sharing them between him and his brothers and sisters and so they called him rollo and my cousin couldn't my auntie couldn't say rollo she said roly and he's been roly ever since
1: roly ruffle uh well we're celebrating him as well as you today susie ruffle thank you so
2: much thank you so so
1: much thank you that's been a pleasure
2: Well, Lord, there we go. What a way to end the second series.
1: I know. I mean, obviously, I've known Susie for such a long time, and we have. It's so mad that we have such a similar upbringing. Don't you,
2: blimey? Yeah, God. Like in so many ways, yeah. I really felt that. Yeah, and
1: it's just like so interesting to hear. Like, I don't know. It's just so. It's it's lovely when you you meet like-minded people, and they've had a similar upbringing. They just sort of get it. But interesting that she really struggled with the question of feeling working
2: class. It's interesting because she brought it up herself at the beginning, didn't she? So it's obviously something she's wrestling with. And it's what's been so interesting, isn't it? Like, you know, we've always, I've talked about my, like, you know, am I working class? My mum's quite middle class. My dad's very working class. And then, like, my life's probably a mixture, actually. I probably Mm. am still quite, I probably live more of a working class life than you, but you probably have more of a working class background. It's so fascinating, all of that, isn't it? It's like... And yeah, that's why
1: we do it that's and to show all the it. in
2: exactly the same way as I feel like she was talking about her sexuality it's the same thing about class really about showing all the different shades of that and different you know it doesn't all have to she was saying bleak Angela's ashes yeah exactly
1: <laughs> and also like another example I know we've had this a lot this series of finally going do you know what I'm just going to be my authentic self and then it going well for her it having yeah. a bit of a turn around yeah and that's a, and been
2: a... a real thread hasn't it it
1: has yeah That's it, Han. Last one of the series. what
2: a series. I can't believe it. How lucky are we? Oh,
1: we're so lucky and we've got so many more guests that we want to interview and we will, and we will be back, oh, within a spit and a cough. Let's hope the world hasn't burned by then, eh?
2: Or ourselves.
1: (laughs) Or ourselves. Until then, thank you for listening. Remember, you can follow us at the Proper Class Podcast. You can email us at properclasspodcast at gmail.com. Any thoughts, anything you want to throw our way. And listen, until we see you next time, Hannah, go on, you can say it. Say the the new catchphrase. Keep it classy. Go on. (laughs) The Proper Class Podcast is produced by Michelle Far scott for B Productions, edited by James Torrance, with music by Tommy Music.
0: Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter.